You guys ready? Ready. So welcome to the PFFA pod. I'm Kyle McLowry with President Isaac McLennan and Secretary-Treasurer Travis Chipman. So thanks for being here, you guys. Yeah, thanks uh, for having us. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to get together. Um, this I don't have a, 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 like a, a lot of deep questions to get into, but this my thought was the contract or the, has been ratified. The successor agreement, is that a better way of saying it? The contract? Yeah, you know, you can call it many different things, right. but the successor agreement, the contract, okay. commonly... I know it was a bit of a sprint there towards the end. Everyone, mostly you guys, have had a chance to take a breath. I thought maybe just talk about it a little bit uh, now that we have ha- you've had that breath. Maybe you, I think Isaac, you got away for a little bit with the family. Yeah, stepped away, turned off your phone. So I thought let's just chat about a few of the things. I, I do know uh, that things got a little bit intense that last few weeks before it got ratified. And I say that only being someone not been a big Slack user myself personally, but I think a lot of discussion happened on the Slack, then it happened on the Zooms, happened in the room over there, and there were some legitimate concerns that were brought up. And I think um, I just wanted to talk about some of that stuff. But before we get into the nuts and bolts, congratulations to both of you guys. Um, you. Uh, you got the contract done. I mean, that's no no small feat, and you really checked off almost all the boxes. Um, whether people have some concerns still or not, that's you know something different than what I'm saying. Just congratulations that you got through the process. And one of your one of your big goals, I believe, Isaac, was to do it in a timely fashion. You, as far as I mean, not be out of contract for very right. long. And as far as I can tell, you pretty much nailed that within within a couple of weeks. I, I obviously I would have liked to have the the entirety done and voted on uh, by the end of June, so that the switch would turn on when everybody you know on July one, mm-hmm. and not have this period of retro. But I had to kind of uh, face reality in, in the in the process that this was going to be the closest we could get to bait, having that same benchmark and. As I've talked about, this is really the first time we've ever reached a tentative agreement prior to the expiration of a contract that I'm aware of, unless it happened, you know, decades well, ago. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, it was pretty darn close. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a retro, but for those of us, for those of for those of you out there who are newer to the bureau, it was not uncommon to be 12, 18 months out of contract. That's right. Um, so that was basically, you know, nail on the head. Pretty, pretty, pretty darn, pretty darn close. So yeah, that was where I wanted to start. We'll just congratulate you for that. Before we get into some of the other details, and this is just for, for me, I want if you could maybe clarify a little bit of, of the timeline in terms of there was an initial offer, and then it was, it was low, and then maybe Chief Boone and Chief Gillespie went to council and had a meeting with them, and then the city came back with another offer. This may be um, repetitive for some of the <laughs> folks out there that know some of this. But can you just tell, tell me a little bit about that timeline? How did that all play out? I'm going to say this from memory. I'm not reading something. So just uh, with a little latitude if sure. I get of something course. a of little course. bit off. But it seemed like there was uh, an offer and then they went back and then there was another offer. What we were doing with the membership was communicating in real time as fast as we got any information in regards to what they were offering uh uh, when it comes to the economic items, the economic subjects, the money, right? So as soon as we knew something about it, we knew that the memberships membership was mostly interested in what are they offering financially. 
And so in the process of being just openly transparent about that, uh-huh. we, uh, there, there may have been some confusion that there was multiple offers. There was only one. And, and it, was, it was low. Oh, no, there, well, was, there was only one. Oh. $8.1 million uh, over four years. And there's each year the contract had a dollar amount uh, that was allocated by council. It was made clear to the union that that will be the only offer from council. There will not be another offer from council. That was from the lead negotiator from the city. So where did that meeting with council, with chief and chief, happen? That happened just July prior? July 12th, I think. That happened just prior no, sorry, to? June 12th. Just prior to the one offer? Mm-hmm. We had negoti- our, our, uh, the negotiation. We had three negotiation sessions in June that were all uh, about the economic subjects of bargaining. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work gone into it in the, in the IBB world, interest-based bargaining, you talk about a lot of these kind of overall themes and topics along the way. You're working on de- kind of determining, well, based on the union's requests or management's requests, here's how much this thing would cost if we were to provide it. So you work on all that in advance so that really what you're doing so is you're just crunching numbers. I got to push back a tiny bit. I always heard that the, the costing came at the very, very, very end. You didn't talk about how much things cost. In June. So, That's right. Oh. That was the end. So in June was when. So the it wasn't during the IBB when you were talking about issue X. Well, this is going to cost so and so. That was not part of the conversation in January, February, March, April. That didn't happen until later. In June, the we had an uh, uh, informational meeting, a Zoom session over uh, with every, all members. And in that Zoom meeting, it was like the day before, that was when we first learned that there was going to be $2.1 million that City Council had ad- ad- uh, uh, approved through the City Budget Office. So the City Budget Office and their work- workings had to figure out where all these different monies are coming from and going. And they had their office had allocated $2.1 million. Not Council, not the, the negotiation team, the City Budget Office in their workings were like, yeah, we figured two point one for negotiations for year one. Okay, yeah, for year one. Thank you. And two. Was that and two? Okay, sorry. Oh, no, so Travis after two years. You can talk. You don't have any hand signals. Two years. <laughs> okay, so that $2 million, that was, just, that was sort of initially folded into, so into the budget. Let me but jump it, in there. Like, okay. Basically what happened was they said, hey, we've looked in our purse. We already have $2.1 million set aside for your bargaining. Nothing year three, and if you do a year four, nothing year four. But they opened their purse, and that's how much. And, and so see, it came I'm out. Sorry to, to interrupt real quick. When you say you're bargaining for the first year of the contract, not for like the actual bargaining process, because it costs the city money to bargain. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So the first year of the contract, okay. the benefits um, above COLA was 1.2 million the first year, and then 942,000. That's right. The second year. For, that's right. Oh. And so they basically specifically said, for money above COLA, regardless of how it was used. Right. We'd okay. already agreed on COLA, 100% of COLA, yeah. for the every year of the contract. Okay. So they so just that, basically four of one, max of five. Right. Yeah. They opened their wallet up and said, "Hey, this is how much money we have already." And then, you know, conversations behind the scenes were like, "Well, that's great, but..." And then, the chief and the chief went back to council, had their real conversations. Like, if that's all you have, don't waste your time. This union will never, will never settle on that little bit of money they made a big case they made a presentation council came back 
And this is an executive session, so that means that the only people allowed in the room are city council and the negotiating team for the city. No one else is involved in this meeting. We don't, we don't get to know what's in there. We don't get to know who said what. Uh, unless one of them tells us what they heard or what no they reporters, said. No reporters, no... No, nobody. It's completely... It's kind of BS. Well, it's so, the charter allows for it, I, I, I assume. Okay, fair enough, fine. I mean, I was thinking about... As it, as it, maybe it's not related, but I'm on the board of trustees for FPDR. We're not allowed to meet like that. Every, anytime we meet, it has to be public record. It has to be in public. I'm going to guess there's probably certain things that can and cannot be reported, and there may be, like... Uh, notes taken that are also like, I you know I don't know okay. I, I don't okay. know the specifics okay. of that so I okay so two part two prong question for both you guys now that you're somewhat separated from the process overall grade or ranking for the IBB process and that being said it's sort of a tan, you know tangentially related to what we're talking about with the city and their backdoor meetings that are unable for unable to you know, access. There's a feeling I wonder, like, is there any sense that the city's getting over at all on us with this contract? I don't know. How, I don't know how to articulate that other than that. Um, but that if they knew how much money they're spending from the beginning, why can't they just say this is what it is, skip the 12 month process, and everybody move? I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but let's let's step back. Start with the IBB process first. Can you guys sort of think okay. about rating it, how it went? I mean, overall, yeah. For me, I would definitely say is a very a hard B plus or A minus. Um, knowing the other two negotiations and how they went, um, the inability for the other style of bargaining is just to say no and not have conversations and not be forced to learn and talk about each subject, sometimes in painful, painful like length. Um, this this style is so healthy for. A city that's overworked and doesn't have the ability to get to the table and have real meaningful conversations. So, if there was ever a place where IBB was built for, it's for the city of Portland. So, I mean, I would say we do not get away from this process the next cycle because we we are very successful in this this contract. Mm -hmm. Isaac, <clears throat> well, just on the first point you asked. Uh, regarding the IBB process, I, I, I got I, I would go back with Travis. I think he nailed it on the grade, um, high B, low A. I think there were some stumbling blocks along the way that created some frustrations for me personally. Um, but given the players we had, specifically the chief negotiator, and honestly the state conciliator uh, from the employee relations board, I think really. I think that, that was, that's what really made this uh, successful. And it really allowed us as firefighters to come to the table, the people who have been on the job in various capacities, myself at Station 7, I've been in the Bureau for 21 years, Travis, just a little longer than me at Station 14, Mike Dunbernstein, Maudie Fuge, Garrett Rob Garrison, and Terry Foster. All different stories and pathways in the bureau, but all have been in for, you know, uh, you know, for a decent amount of time, yeah, yeah. and that allowed us to really articulate what was going on, what the temperature of the membership was, what were the, frust the frustrating points. The whole bargaining style is about hearing those interests, understanding them from the other side, 
and in asking the question of what was really going to drive the discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, what is really going on that we need to fix? And then come up with that question, express both parties' interests, and then collectively come up with options. Unlike positional bargaining, where I just say, I right, want this right. much. And then from that position, you then, from a position standpoint, then you start articulating uh, why you should have that position. It's, think- it's more argumentative. And it's less constructive, and, it, and so the interest-based model, in my mind, puts it up. Now, I, I couldn't go into this situation if we didn't have a, a labor relations uh, coordinator, whoever HR assigns to be the chief negotiator. If we had a bad relationship going into bargaining, uh-huh. I might just say, let's just go to positional. Sure. Honestly, it, it really it's, – it's a it's a, got to have communication, trust, and uh, you got to have uh, respect for each other or it will not work. So there's no real way to, I guess, I know, I, I know the answer to this before I even ask it, but I'll ask it anyways, to have a sense of take this contract that, that you guys just negotiated and try and put it up against some fictitious thing that you think might have happened if in, the, in a different parallel universe where you were doing positional bargaining, how close those two would be. I mean, I guess that's sort of the root of the question is, do we get a better contract do, doing it this way? Or ultimately, and that's what, you know, there's a sense of the city. I don't think that there are any sort of master negotiators. Maybe they are. They do They do it. Like Mary, I well, always forgot I think there's, there's negotiators who avert wars. I would call those folks yeah. to be masters, right. I, would, I, would, I would say. I mean, that's all, all that they do, often. I, can you help me remember the, the lead negotiator's name? Anne-Marie? Anne-Marie Kevorkian. Anne-Marie, right, right, right. I remember sitting next to her when we did a, had the healthcare presentation, uh, to chat with her, with her a little bit, and she was saying that she's going from negotiation to negotiation. It's kind of like mm-hmm. every day, all day, every day. Um, and it's oh yeah! Like as soon as we, as another. soon as we got it ratified at council, it was like we, it just turned into goes. Like, we're like firefighters who they had moved on to the next thing to solve. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's all right. I, I think it is. Uh, but they're running, those, they're running those folks hard. My job isn't to represent them, but the HR department is running the labor relations team pretty hard. Okay, uh, so. Um, and I guess, and I, I'll, I'll go back go to my second question real quick before I move on to some other details. And I didn't, I didn't articulate it very well, so I'll, I'll just try again. And there's a, I guess it's not a fear, I mean, it's a concern that the city um, has X amount of dollars and they're trying to give us available. And they're trying to just like give us less, the least amount of that X as possible to get us to sign a deal. And if and if there was anything above what we got, then they sort of got over on, on us a little bit. And I'm just, I know also a hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. Like, but is there no, any I, sense of that from you guys having been through a 12 month, hundreds and hundreds of hours, of of this process? You feel good about the contract, I believe. Um, I but, feel great about the contract. Good, I really good. do. I know there's some stumbling blocks and concerns and frustrations, mm-hmm. but this contract is. I remember thinking when we TA this thing. I was like, I couldn't even believe when I was going through the list in my mind before I had even reduced it to writing on that summary uh, mm-hmm. document that I attached to the letter I sent out. I was just like, I couldn't, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. There yeah. were so many things that I remember discussing when I was brand new, 2010, mm-hmm. as, a, as a district rep under 4K. And it was like, these we got to fix this problem. And, you know, 12 years later, nothing. And this has nothing to do with me. I'm just, I happen to be the president Mm -hmm. and the team did this work. This is just me realizing the work that the team did and through this process and what we're able to achieve. 
Uh, yeah, did it come with some uh, wins for management? Absolutely, but that's the reason we got what we got. Right. Man- when management get when when we had when management took uh, when they got the win regarding comp time, I know members were so frustrated, myself included. I got I used a bunch of time comp time. I voted yes on that contract. Uh, you know, uh, that was the uh, there's you're never going to have a negotiation where the union gets everything and management right, gets sure. nothing. Got you it. know, that's got just it. not going to happen. Okay. So the the survey that went out, and also okay, this is oh, we may end up editing this out. Do you have any sense of how much time you guys spent? Just out of curiosity, I think I, I think I wrote it down in my document. I think I wrote it down in my document, but just hours in, like the, in, in, in the room in was over three hundred hours okay. uh, in the in the room negotiating. And did that count? The and, and, the, and the preparation the sessions, prep meeting, right? That's what I was going to ask. But that doesn't not independent work. Didn't didn't write down any independent work time. Yeah, not station visits. That's just everybody didn't do, together. Didn't write that down. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's just the I have a whole document. That's how I got this number of every negotiation session and every because I I, really, yeah. I I planned a pretty rigorous schedule for the negotiating team because I I we were every week we met for all day, uh, once a day every week the entire time we were negotiating right. from from November to right. June, right? At least that's, minimum of one day, full day a week awesome that's huge appreciate all the, all yeah. the effort um so along that line I, i'm sorry i'm jumping around so much uh, i did mention the the talk on the slack i just wanted to and i i almost jumped in a couple times and i just sort of let it go but i, I did want to just sort of give a shout out to everybody who participated there that i thought i i really appreciated the conversation that was had there, and again like when you have people talking more often than not that's going to be the people that have something they really want to whether it's a comment or a concern or they or want some answers, that's where they where, the, where they're not a lot of people there giving attaboys. Yeah. Um, but I thought the vast majority, 95 percent of the conversation there was respectful. They were they were um, it was there it was using using the platform I thought appropriately, um, and was um, I don't know it, I, I I thought it was a good conversation. Now some of it was maybe got to you guys because they were questioning the work that you've been working on for a whole year and they were sort of very late to the game I suppose of understanding some of these things but um, that's what the tool's for and I appreciated I appreciated what people were bringing up and how it was responded yeah. to for the most part I don't know what was your I, time I have, a lo- I have a love-hate relationship with Slack uh, I, uh, I created that system as a vice president at the request of the president and Mr. Verschweiler and you know, I think he wanted to have an ability for people to. I can't remember what the issue was that came up. But there was some reason that he wanted me to create some system. So rather create it, I just went out looking for one that was already built right. and came across Slack. And I think it's a great way to have members ask a question and answer it in today's world. Because if without Slack, it's just going to be some other forum because yeah. that's where people are on their phones. So I, I'm glad that we have one. I'm, I'm glad that I, I'm really happy that members participate in it. I think it's a great way to have a question and an answer that everybody can read. So yeah. that Kyle Kyle McLowry asks a question on there, and I, hey, uh, when can we expect the you know the pay rate and pay increase to sure. to go into sure. effect? And I can reply back, and I've just answered the question for everybody. Right. I don't have to answer it a bunch more, bunch more times. So that part I love. The hate part, I well, here's the hate part, Kyle, <laughs> is that I don't like. Obviously, I don't like uh, texting debates. I just don't think they're effective. Uh, you shouldn't be derogatory to other no, members and things of that nature. What I don't like is that I feel like it makes in-person meetings less important for people mm. when that's where debate needs to happen. You need to be able to look at each other, 
state your point listen to other people's ideas maybe your viewpoints change because you're having a debate as a union that's what that's what how we get to the right answer is we debate and the majority rules and we move on so do you feel the same way about the zooms they're not not as that as uh, adequate as you'd like them to be i i would say i have a love hate relationship with zoom too oh, and that oh. i think it defeats that same purpose i just mentioned but i think a lot of people would kind of just tune in to kind of hear the news Maybe if there's something that happens, they don't want to miss it. Same, so like they will hear the yeah, yeah. hear the drama if there is any. And, Same thing with the Slack. But if people don't. It's not a part. It's not like I'm looking at you know. There's 78 people on there. I'm just staring at myself right. on the camera. And I'm, but then you know, Travis will turn his on. And now at least yeah. I'm not just looking at myself yeah. the entire time. So. I wanted. I prefer a more interactive right. scenario. But at the same time, as I do know that people like it, I do think it's valuable for sure. some sure. parts. And I think I'm, I'm going to continue doing it. Yeah, truth is, n- neither of them are reaching everybody. You know, well, that's that's true. You never, this yeah. this doesn't either. Really, there's only one way to do that. How's that? Direct member contact. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm actually looking at the um, the letter that you wrote that you sent along with the the summary and highlights, and re- referring back to the survey, uh, there was a couple things as a list here. Pay increase over cola was number one. Check. Got that one. One three two three schedule was second. So solidify that. Check. Yeah. Healthcare, and that's a very broad term. Um, tra- healthcare trust, not check, but healthcare, um, health and welfare additions. Check. And everybody know that the third one is healthcare trust. Let's not mince the words. Okay. I, I think I I may have minced them in the net oh, letter. Just, I'm just reading straight from the letter. But I think yeah. that was a way to help help. Uh, identify that we did make improvements to our healthcare. I think that did we get the healthcare trust? No. Nope. Okay. Can, so that's to be. Yeah. Can I jump in? I just want to make a public like um, the healthcare committee: Kyle McClowry, Jesse Ryanvolt, Jacob Domeyer, Rob Hutchins, Jason Cunningham, Pete Neal. I think Shank was there for a little bit. Uh, Shank was uh, in there in the beginning. We we don't get the contract we have without the work that they did. Um, the the amount of information they brought to the table, the amount of work they did with the membership, the the ability for me to explain them to the negotiating team on the other side was not quantifiable um, in money or language because at the end of the day they knew that we were so well prepared. Uh, hiring trucker Haas, I mean going through all the documents we did, like we don't get the contract we have without the healthcare trust committee. That's um, right. And more importantly, like none of them were executive board members. Like this is the, this is the membership stepping up to, to do something for the greater good of the membership. And that's priceless. And I just, I want to encourage people as we go down, we're already building negotiation folders for the next round. We're preparing, we're developing strategies um, as of this morning, we're already doing that work. Um, I would just encourage people to really step up and continue to do the work because it can't be done completely by the six primary officers and of course. Cameron Holman. So, thank you. Just for myself, um, it's a great loss to me, having worked on it as long as I have. And, I've, and I'll just we say we were there at the beginning in 2014. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. Uh, and I'll just say that I've said it before. You know, from my point of view, this is just Kyle McLowry speaking. 
a healthcare trust would would be, from my point of view, the greatest legacy we could leave this union in the, for the future, foreseeable future of members, current and future members of this union. Now, um, for me personally, I'd give up everything in the tr- contract for the health trust. Obviously, that's one person's point of view. We can leave it there. Um, I, we did good work, and I think I get Travis's point is they probably recognized if they didn't come to the table with something that was really worthwhile, we were poised and ready to take the next step for that healthcare trust, knowing the value of it. Um, and the value is, is immense. Um, so they had to come up with something that was gonna take, uh, take our eyes off of that, and it's not going anywhere. It's always gonna be available. It's on, it's on the shelf Yeah, now. it's on the shelf. And it's really a bummer that it's four, that shelf is a four-year shelf, but that's a different, different topic. I mean, that's one of the things, one of the things a little bit, bummer is the wrong word. I wish, I, I, wish, I wish it was a three-year contract, personally. I think most people do. But I mean, that would be a, a want to be three-year contract with the same, all the same stuff in it, right. and that's also not necessarily the, the way it goes. So there's a couple, there's a couple of tweaks, of course. There's no way would have turned that down, right? No, right, of course. And you know that two percent, two percent being the last year, that's a little bit of like a poke in the eye, but but also it's still, you know, it's, it'll get there. It's just, that two percent would be worth a lot more up front than it is on the back. Um, but again, these well, are little without a doubt. nitpicky things. Without, I don't, I don't want to get into that without too Without a doubt. Without a doubt. A 10% increase in pay on July 1, 2023. Yeah. Above COLA. Would, you know, there's no amount of money we would say no to. But we had what we had was what they were willing to offer us. It's more than we've ever seen before, yeah. percentage-wise, that yeah. I've ever seen before. Yeah. So well, I, I mean, can't believe you got money over coal. I mean, that was a shock to but me. But let me, I mean, let me, exp- for me, the four-year piece is huge because getting a 2% in fourth year, it, it's the largest increase we had in the four years itself. It's probably the largest single benefit um, in the contract as far as like monetary value. Mm-hmm. And even though that's in the fourth year, it doesn't mean it's in the fourth year, but if I'm in year uh three of my career or sure. five or sure. whatever, that means that fourth year, that 2% is now going to compound for the rest of my entire career. And so that is like such a strategic benefit to get the highest value dollar at the end because right. it's the lowest costed right. dollar only being in year one. And so for me, this contract, like Isaac said, is it takes care of all of these issues that have been plaguing this union mm-hmm. for over a decade and the next contract none of them are there and we start off with just coming off a two percent increase over cola right. i mean you talk about having your starting block set yeah and being completely hydrated and ready to go hit the ground running for brand new subjects brand new topics coming off two percent raise above cola holy cow we turned it over it's true. I think it's a good perspective to recognize that the work done here in this union, it's always for the next generation of firefighters. I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of the, the folks that came before us. And yeah, that 2%, when that's, if that's actually somebody's sixth year of, of, or even their 10th year, they're going to obviously get that for, for a long time. Someone like myself, it'll be very towards, more towards the end of my career. You okay to pivot real quick? Anything yeah. else? Anything else you want to touch on those th- those stuff? Well, I think no? I just like, I want to just because Travis really one of the things people look at this contract. Well, what's in it for me? The first thing that everybody does is they digest That's it. Hum- it's human, how does human, human nature. nature? Yeah. But as a negotiating team, we don't have that luxury. Right. We are we we have to look at it. How is this better for the membership as a whole? 
Yeah. How is it going to benefit the union as a whole? And how is it that you know this will benefit people that have not yet been hired yet? That will, you know, sure. we, we pull those old contracts out, I don't know, at least during the negotiation a number of times Yeah. to look back. What did they mean when they wrote? How did this language <laughs> get in there? What, what, they, what was there before? Yeah. These are, these are going to be documents that people are going to use in the future. So I think that's part of the, the process for us. And, right. And, you know, to people's just to, 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 to somebody else's, uh, uh, you know, comment to that would be like, well, what about the discipline rubric? That's a negative. Uh-huh. And I know we're going to get into that, but. Uh, that's a la- that's a negative legacy, maybe. That one hasn't been written yet, so we don't know that. But so that would be what somebody could say. That was the next place I wanted to go, and it sort of reflects back to when we were talking about the, the discussion on the Slack. I saw the, the the main concerns on the on the Slack that last ten or t- fourteen days before the contract were s- sort of f- focusing on two different issues. The big one was what you said: the discipline matrix. We'll maybe switch over to calling the accountability rubric. That's what it's going to be called. Yeah, the accountability um, rubric. I think that. The, the the this is I'm paraphrasing like I don't I there's a couple of people that were sort of the tip of the spear for for this argument and I didn't talk to them specifically so I'm not gonna you know but I felt like overall the general feeling was there was a degree of subjectivity involved or the language was ambiguous enough that it was um, concerning to people they didn't know what it meant and, the, and they look at the PPAs and the PPAs is more seemingly more detailed. Can you speak to maybe some things that have happened since, if anything, and how to t- talk to people about um, the accountability rubric and your thoughts on how it's going to work, how it should work, um, maybe some things that may be changing the language to make it more specific, and lastly, um, the idea of coaching being a point on, on that rubric, which is something that's been tossed back and forth a bunch and is kind of confusing. Is that enough to tee up this yeah. first conversation? Yeah, let me take some, let me take those three. I'm gonna take one. I'm sorry, one, that's like five points. One I'm thing that's hit. not, you know, I get a question all the time saying, oh great, now I'm gonna be uh, disciplined for, you know, yelling at a patient or yelling at my officer or not being housework. being a jerk or being or not doing housework. Yeah. Um, I just looked today at a 2013 discipline written reprimand from an officer uh, yelling at their firefighter for not doing um, stuff around the station. That was a written reprimand in 1999. And there are a ton of these. I have books and books of these. Um, there was a oral reprimand, which is considered a discipline of a firefighter cursing at their officer uh, <laughs> for the day. And that came into a discipline and that was four presidents ago and this stuff has been going on for decades and decades and decades the difference is is now we we have a bowling lane with bumpers and those bumpers are going to ultimately protect our members from an administration that is going very very left or very very right and so i would just as we work through this first year of this accountability rubric I would just ask the memberships to give us some grace and patience, and we are very confident that this is only a benefit for us, mm-hmm. and that it will give us the ability to keep the administration in check and not going off the deep end when it comes to any situation that may arise in the fire station or out. And now for the technical answers. President well, McClendon. Well, <laughs> before we get there, I think I think the, the the concern is that 
for a potentially personal reason, whatever that may be, someone could be targeted with the ambiguity or vagueness of some of the language. And it be, and, and I, I don't know if it's actually based in reality. That may not be actually something that, and maybe that could be the case right now. Maybe that's not any different from the way things have been for the past 25 years. To, to, let's address the ambiguity because I think that um, I think you can look at that document and you can scrutinize it if you weren't in the negotiating room if you weren't part of that subcommittee that helped draft that document you can look at that thing and go well, why in the world would we agree to this right totally reasonable to, to have some frustration anxiety fear uh, anger about that decision it's on uh, you know from my from my side of the, of the or, or let's say that the, the chat, if you will, uh, you know, I try to be very pragmatic about the answers so that people, you know, understood like why we did this or why it's in there or where did it come from and those kinds of things. But is it a perfect document? No, but just, it will be a GO like any other GO and every GO goes up for policy reviews Mm -hmm. and they should be reviewed. And if there's anything in there that we want changed substantively and management is like, yeah, we make our case. Hey, look! This is this is this this should change, and this is why. If they agree, done. Has there been any discussions just over the past, you know, four to six weeks about we, some of the, the language or, or how it's going to be applied? We haven't seen. It's not been. There is no Geo sixty five. Yeah. There is a discipline rubric, mm-hmm. but it, there is. I mean, last I checked, I haven't seen it like posted as part of the. It, has, it needs to come. It needs to come through roll call. New G, all GOs come through roll call. <laughs> Everybody has to be able to read them, right? You know, so on and so forth. So it's a GO. Uh, and then through that process, there will be an opportunity for the re- po- po- policy review committee to add anything they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also going to be um, an opportunity, I think, to make so many clarifying things that, need, that doesn't substantively change the document. They're not going to agree to any substantive changes. Mm-hmm. But for clarification purposes, if something's ambiguous, and we want to add something in there that I, my feeling is my sense is they're not I just accept that that's a simple email okay no problem because it hasn't been you know it's not in the book yet so it, it you know I don't know and I do know this and on the rubric side I've, I basically say hey look management this is something you wanted we agreed to it but now it's your job to inform and educate the membership on it got it and they are willing to do that and I said I, then I think you should do one of those uh, every shift, and they're willing to do that. So they, and they said sooner than sooner, better than later. What does that mean? Every show, they're making a video. We're going I, around. I how? want to be live. I want to be interactive and live, so that they can explain it, like a Zoom. So what I'm asking for, uh-huh. and then members can log on and ask questions if they feel they uh, if they feel they want to, because it's the reality is this is management's. It's like you know, we're I'm willing to defend it in the terms of the negotiation, mm-hmm. but it's not mine. Understood. You know, and Understood. so, uh, but are there, like Travis pointed out, are there reasons why it actually benefits the uh, the union, not management? Yes, I do believe they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, are there problematic pieces of having a rubric versus the way it was before? With there was sort of this, if the whole thing was ambiguous. You didn't know what was going to happen to you if you did X, Y, and Z. Uh, yeah, because you're sort of it's subjective, and then you know through the normal process of the of uh, handling disciplines and possible grievances and including up into going to arbitration which i will be in an arbitration this whole week for a discipline case and we're we're actually reviewing dozens of disciplines specifically to articulate our point so it's not going to get rid of our ability to do all those things that the union did right it's just a 
if this and that more transparently right. up front so the member knows mm-hmm. if I complete an infraction that falls in one of these buckets, my discipline will be X. If I do any of these mitigating and aggravating factors, it theoretically could decrease or increase the level of discipline I receive. That's, that is the rubric in so, a sentence. So may, uh, or a few sentences. Uh, so, so maybe it's, it's worthwhile to think of it as a little bit of a, a work in progress. It may be, I mean, it's going it's it's to be set up, but there's availability to sort of chisel away at it to make it a little bit more um, formed and a little bit more yeah. specific as if, if, if need be. Um, can yeah. you also... Can you also in, yeah, in the process of getting the rubric, we talked with other unions. You know, that are like us, like that. And Seattle was probably the one that had, they had new. They had they had something that was like a accountability rubric. Uh-huh. They called it whatever they called it. Um, but they had it for I don't know maybe eight ten years. And they got rid of it. Really? Yeah. Huh. They didn't work. They just didn't. They didn't like how neither side liked how uh, oh. it, it ultimately worked Interesting. out. Interesting. Interesting. So you know that could be us in ten years. And you know, gone. I don't know how long the police have had theirs. Maybe they've had theirs for ten or fifteen it's years. Just and been it's, re- it was revised just recently. A couple so of maybe years. it has more details because they've worked with it for a while and mm-hmm. they know how to make it work better. Um, what about the coaching thing? So, coaching is a point on the rubric. Yes. Coaching is coaching or counseling of a similar or same nature is considered an aggravating factor. If you have up to five aggravating points, your discipline will be moved up by one point. So if you were gonna get a oral reprimand, let's Mm -hmm. say, and you had uh, four points aggravating, ultimately, if you add up all those things, Mm -hmm. if you have uh, between one and four points aggravating, your discipline could, I emphasize, because the decision maker gets to make this ultimate decision, increase by one level from a reporter of man to a written Got it. man. Sorry, excuse and me. I think the key point there is of a similar nature. So yeah, it says that specifically in there. So if the two different things, like you're getting uh, coached for um, yelling at somebody on scene, and then... You show up to work late. Show up to, yeah. They're, they're not, you can't add those together. That's right. I think that that was that was a good clarifying point for me. And obviously, there could be zones that are close that would be like, oh, now we have to stipulate this. And if I say this is exactly what will happen in the future when they in the issue of discipline, they say it's based off the rubric, but we disagree that the you're you're using this counseling session as if it was the same right. or similar. Right. We're going to stipulate in a grievance arbitration hearing that it was not. Yeah. And then the arbitrator gets to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Same way it is right now. They would do that now. Right. Without the sorry pre rubric, I should say. Yeah. It's just writing down what they're doing, and I think that's the thing that most people are concerned about. Is that they're 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 angry, they're frustrated, they're, they're fearful. Well, you know, those are natural lot, reactions to something. Yeah, there's like, not a lot of trust. Well, this is between, our this job is our livelihood. Well, Without this job, we don't have the lifestyle that we all have known to love and appreciate. Our work schedule, the amount of money we make, our retirement security, our, our health care. We need all, this job for our family to thrive. Yeah, all true, all true. But my point is more towards just some, and it, whether it's you know um, based in reality or not, particularly as you're working with the city as an employee longer yeah. and longer, more issues come up, more examples come up. People you know could be you, could could be me, could be my friend I work with. But there's, there's morale's not great. There's a little bit of there's been erosion of trust. I think. And, and maybe founded and maybe not, but I think that's a point, the place where people are coming from to some degree, and that probably is informing 
um, some of that concern about about the rubric. But I, I get it, and that was, I thought it was a good conversation. To be honest, what was happening um, on there? Because I didn't understand exactly uh, how it was going to be applied either. And you know, I think to myself, I don't, I don't really care. I don't really get in trouble. I'll plan, I'll plan on getting in trouble, but you don't, you don't care until you are in trouble, I suppose. Right. Anyways, did you, did you have anything you were gonna, you were gonna say? You were sort of no, no. no. <laughs> There's probably a million things you can say on every one of these topics. We could do an yeah. entire podcast on each one of these. Well, I appreciate you sitting down for sure and talk, talking through this stuff. Maybe it's just for me. Hopefully someone else finds some value in it. I don't know. One or two people out there. Hopefully. We're talking to that one avid listener. <laughs> all, all tens of them. <laughs> um, the other thing that was a big issue, at least from my perspective, was the idea of comps. And this sort of, this, this sort of, sort of faded out of, out of the, uh, the, the, the limelight when the rubric came in. But it had to do with how we fit in the sort of kaleidoscope of all of the agencies in the state, from Salem, Klamath Falls, to Bend, whatever it may be. And people are taking other contracts, looking at them, their compensation, and saying, hey, we're the, we're the, we're the biggest, we have the most hazards, we're the most skilled, we should have the best compensation. Um, and I don't disagree with that at all. I don't either. That's uh, exactly what I told the negotiating team for the city. That was almost verbatim what you just said. And it's perhaps not reflected when you, perhaps, and I'm, when you look at some of the other contracts that are being achieved around the city, around the, around the state, excuse me. So that was something that came up, and I did speak personally to some of the folks that were having that conversation, and I do believe that's a very good moral argument. It's not a great legal argument um, when it comes to actually if you're going to go to arbitration. Right. Because comps are not as easy as just your wages. There's a lot involved. But do you do you recall having this this discussion going around a little bit? Can you speak in, to it at in all? In the uh, you talk with membership, or are you talking about in negotiations? In the, with the, 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 it was one of the reasons that I think people voted against the contract. Ah, and I wanted to see if there's anything you could speak to about that. Does that make sense? Am I yeah. teeing that up okay? Yeah, I think that um, we as members are humans. And it's easier for us to like see another contract and they and then say, oh, they work X amount of hours, and then that's where the conversation ends. Right. But for us, we have to look at the total contract, right? We have to look at healthcare and the total compensation. Yep, total yeah. compensation, yeah. which is healthcare and, and paid time off and retirement security, and and we don't get to look at just hourly wage. So, um, but the problem is with some of. Um, the membership, they don't want to sit down and have those conversations with you because ultimately, at the end of the day, and I'll use Salem, Salem for an example, is it looks really, really sexy that you know at, in 2026 they're going to make $114,000, and today we only make 103, right. right? And they go, they are killing us. But then when you run the numbers and when you run the math and when you run our projected coals out and our wage above coals and all that in 2026 where we're going to be mm-hmm. compared to where they're going to be we're still ahead of them and right. that's just in one area i know um so those are the conversations we need to have with the membership um i know uh Fijini, andrew Fijini, um he did a great job building his own comparable um, oh, yeah, sheet yeah. on uh-huh. um, slack which yeah, cool. i think helped a lot of people 
he's made my nominations list for September general membership meeting. Um, but uh, I think those are things that are important to have those conversations. Is that your outside voice, just real quick? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I talked about it. He's smart. He can bring something to the table, so I want to get his name in the, name in the game. But back to my point was it's just important to get into the weeds and understand every dollar because, an example, Vancouver works less than us, and it looks like they make more than us in salary, but their retirement's less, and Harper Pilots make half of what we do there, right? Well, how do you, how do you extrapolate that in total compensation right. Right. if you're talking to you know, a firefighter or a, a pilot? Do you know, this is just random, you said Vancouver made me think of this, are they able to factor in cost in retirement? Like if Vancouver, their health trust is paying part of their retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if, that- if we were if we got to use uh, Vancouver oh, right. comp, right? Of course, which we don't, because right. uh, they're not considered one for got uh, it. you know under the, under the law. Hmm. If we got to use them, then yes, they would break down all of that, okay. and, and we would go. That would be there'd be a part of our arbitration where we just establish who our comparables will be first. Then will come the, well, what set of information are we going to use as fact? And what, what we would make our case, obviously, making it look like we could make more money. And the city, would, of course, would downplay that. And ultimately, the arbitrator makes a decision based on all of that, days and days and days, just to establish who our comps are and what they make and how it compares to Portland's. Because our schedules are different, our retirements are different, our yeah. health care is different, our pay scales are different, our, work sc- our staffing is different, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Staffing, you can just add staffing. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not incorrect, if I'm not correct, if I'm wrong, fuck. <laughs> if I could speak, that'd be good too. If I'm not mistaken, uh, we are it, with our comp set that we are allowed. We are specifically allowed by PECPA law. We are at the top, pretty close to the top. Yes, we were above our. We were above the average, okay. which is that's all that matters. Is 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 our comp analysis put us above the average okay okay not a good position to go into our to arbitrate for one for to arbitrate for an increase in pay above cola right right the fact that the, the reality is here's our here's what our comp person told us here's the reality you guys use cola most of the people that she does analysis work on that fire unions don't use cola they just they have to negotiate their pay pay increase each mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. but she says here's kind of the, the here's the bittersweet part for you is that your cost of living adjustments have kept you doing really well. You haven't had to negotiate for pay increases above COLA to maintain your status of being above national comps. Right. Good problem to have in that you're getting paid, bad problem in that it's hard to make a case to get paid more. Right, right. That's the trouble. Um, well, that hits those. Those were some of the two main issues. Maybe we can do a little bit of a lightning round here. Go through some of the other issues that issues, the other summaries, Item, topics, topics, other some other bullets in the summary. Um, that uh, I don't know. Just let's, pat, let's go ping pong. Go back and forth. Uh, me and Travis. They, okay. Who wants to? No. Uh, so one of them, and this may be just like we can just do. This can be fast, quick answers. But I'm looking at the summary highlight page. Um, there's not much to say about premium pay, but uh, there's one that's the language pay differential. So that was that was offered to the whole city. Is it just saying it's in the contract now as as language? Is that all it is? That's 
That's correct. We currently have 15 people in Portland Firefighters Association that are getting the $1 per hour language pay. Um, just to note that um, because of this negotiations, because of the IBB process, the city has agreed to add American Sign Language oh, to the list of languages that we you can that. be approved for. PFFA did that. That's awesome. PFFA did that. Um, is there a limit? 15 is our limit or no the number of people yeah no there's no, no limit no everybody limit. could learn a second language and the reality is if the city gets rid of this program it stays why it's in our contract thank you pffa that's pretty sweet uh, you just have to pass a test of some kind correct cool okay next one i, I just put a little arrow next to was the longevity improved so a seven percent of top step when you're at 24 year 24th year how does that change? What was what was that? So, uh, I'm going to give credit to Jason Lehman because he's the Jason one. Jason Lehman? I know. Wow. Uh, emeritus status. No, okay. he's not actually emeritus status. It should be. Maybe he is. No anyway. Such no uh, such thing. Sorry, Jason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so he, you know, was. this is one of the things that he talked about when he's a vice president, and we were able to get that in this contract, which is basically when you you receive your, your top pay at 25 years, you receive, as you know, um, you were able to, on your... At, on completion of your 25th year, you could retire mm-hmm. uh, with your uh, FPDR pension. Um, the problem is you didn't get longevity oh. until you, upon completion of your 25th, 25th year, year, which means you didn't start oh. receiving that until you're eligible to retire. Right. So this says you get it one year earlier. That way, when you're eligible to retire with 25 years, right. you got you already had that Bumps top step your of longevity. Final so salary. Exactly. Fantastic. Pensionable money. That's one of the big ones you just kept hearing at every station. Pension, our union it's, needs to go for more pensionable money. And with no. one, not even an expensive, very, very inexpensive move of the pen, we just bumped everyone's pension by 2%. Theoretically. It's one of those little details. Or they can retire a year earlier, whatever yeah. it might be. You can right. understand the idea. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, retirement security was number five on the, uh, the survey list. Great. I just learned something. I did not, I did not know that. Good job, Jason. This is one I'm just pointing out because I think it's pretty cool. The uh, change in the sick leave payout. So it was something that I worked on way back when I was a VP, and it was there was no movement on it. Oh yeah, the answer was absolutely no. Yeah, hard no. So just that it changes the number of hours, and that it's it just makes those payouts potentially a lot more lucrative. To and and it's really gonna incentive, instead of incentivizing me to use all my sick leave before I retire, which we certainly know that is something that people have somehow managed to do at times. It's incentivizing me to 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 you know keep my sick leave, um, which is anyone's personal choice. But I think it's really worthwhile and it's cool that you can get at least not going to get 100 percent, obviously, which would be great. I think at some point they should bump it up anything above let's say 1,800 hours, 100 percent. That would be maybe the next step, but I'm looking at the numbers here. Um, Travis is shaking his head, but that's, it's, it's a, that's a great that's a great benefit. It's much better than it was. There's an underlying theme to this contract, and it's um, reduce overtime spending and be fiscally responsible when it comes to staffing, like total dollar spent. Right. So um, this is one of the things that got added to reduce overtime usage and. If people have the ability to go, man, I'm only f- 100 hours away from the next step, and the next step is 50%, they're going to now eyeball that next step and try to get to that next step, which ultimately is going to reduce the need for you know, staffing, callbacks. Right. So I understand the philosophy. I'm not sure if the reality is going to reflect oh, that. Yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't always agree with that either, but this is one of the many 
underlying themes in a lot of these topics is the reduction of overtime. Sick leave should be paid out 100%. Everybody in this room thinks that that should be the case, right? Yeah. It should, it's a benefit that we have. We should, got, we should get our benefit. What we did in this negotiation is like you had just articulated, Kyle, is we were able to move the needle. Did we get to 100%? No. But we made an incremental gain, and I think that's the ticket is that we were moving the bar forward. Now we've set it up for the next team or the team after that or the team after that to move the ball further down the field. Absolutely, because looking at this, I know what it used to be. I'm like, oh, that's, be- that's way better. So there are going to be people who come in after, you know, not too long, look at that, and be like, that sucks. That's got to get better. I think that's kind of the idea of moving the needle. Can we talk a little bit about the retiree hire? Oh piece, my gosh! Yeah, let, let me get into this one. Okay. Um, a retiree hire committee. Um, <laughs> right now, okay? <laughs> right now that this is probably the hottest topic um, in the companies, and rightfully so. I get it. Although this contract has this article has been around in a previous contract, it's now new to a lot of people because it's reality. And so um, we had a meeting last week. Uh, Chief Corey Wilson, um, uh, Lieutenant Fogarty, myself, Lieutenant Dunn Bernstein, and President McLennan, and we went over the impacts of mm-hmm. retiree hire program. And it's important to note that um, we're looking at every classification, promoted classification, every list, every expiration date, and taking the opportunity to to suggest in labor management ways to reduce the possible impact of the retiree hire. It's a benefit, to Isaac's point, that's going to create retirement security for every single one of our members. And we have to be careful with this benefit to not mess it up. But also, if there's an opportunity to reduce the impact in this contract, we're going to we're gonna do the work to get into the weeds and look at every option. Can, can I put a little finer point on that, mm-hmm. just so maybe we can get to the nuts and bolts here, at least from my point of view? It is a benefit to somebody for their retirement security, but isn't it potentially also a harm of somebody else? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that the concern? It's theoretical. That's the, that's it's the theoretical now because, it, like everybody, like we had discussed in bargaining, and we had discussed at this meeting. Travis just said the reality is every time somebody makes a decision to retire, it that creates a vacancy for promotion. And there are multiple factors that would make, goes into people's heads about when they choose to retire, who's on the list, what position they got, how hard they studied, you know, did they get preference points, da 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 you go down the line, there's so many little factors. Retiree hire, the change in retiree hire, I should mention, because it's already been the contract for four years, the change to make it member decides whether or not to go, or the, uh, pres- I'm sorry, the, the uh, fire chief, that's a change that may impact somebody negatively right yeah let me ask you this question please if i ask anybody that's in uh snatching or grabbing their retirement date they know their retirement date i'll just use use an example we haven't talked about do you know when you're going to retire i do not okay most people they know the month and the year they're going to retire based on 27 payroll periods right especially anybody within five years and so if i take kyle mcclary and he says yeah i'm going may of 26. Mm -hmm. I don't want this program to be an extension. I want it to be a prior to you actually leaving the department, yeah. you retire, 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 rehire on your way out. So your date, you're you're leaving, you're not putting on a uniform any day, that date still remains the same. 
But prior to that, you're going to pick up this extra retirement security on your way out the door. And I think that's what's important is uh, a lot of our members have forgotten that we only promote when we have a vacancy. A vacancy is created by retirement, medical, termination, promotions, right? We never promote for a what if or uh, could be, but we only promote for a vacancy. So if Isaac does a retiree hire tomorrow, that's not a vacancy. That's a that's a usage of a benefit in the contract. Oh my goodness. He's not he's not leaving this bureau. He's not turning in his uniform until he separates from the city, which once you're done with your retiree hire and then you leave, then you separate because you don't retire twice. So we have to focus on the actual way we've done it and change the culture. So then we go oh, well, I retired and then I extended my career. I'm harming someone because I should have retired. That should have created a vacancy that wasn't there. I really am afraid we're in semantics right now. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, this whole thing is... You can cut that all I'll out take, and I don't care. Not at all. I don't mean that. I don't, I'm just saying that's the reality and we are emotionally tied to this. We're emotionally well, tied well, because but, it's people's money. That's well, what we're emotionally tied to. it. And, well, and people, need, people want to make as much money as they can to provide as much for their family as they can go on more lavish trips buy nicer no. stuff well no that's part of that's part of what we try all strive to it's the american dream let me just say this when it comes to retiree hire this is the very first thing that we discussed in bargaining the very first topic well, it's also it's, the very last well not quite the last <laughs> staffing close. was the last but the second to last thing we discussed was the retiree hire because it was we we spent more time, we spent probably, I don't, I, in bargaining, we probably spent 40 hours just on this one thing, talking, because it was, we were, everybody, even on our own team, were like, well, how are we gonna do this? And it's so complicated. And so, uh, that like, well, listen, we were all over the board. Everybody gotta, was all over the board. I gotta interrupt, because I'm in the name of the program is retire, okay? Mm -hmm. So, to say it's not really retiring, you're keeping your spot. I mean, it's called retiring, retire, rehire. I mean, that's part of what, that's what the, the program was called. And I had thought there was civil service, I mean, the idea of having a vacancy and not filling it was breaking a civil service law. I could be mis, misrepresenting that. It was maybe, boy, I'm trying to think back of, of when I first heard about this. But I mean, if somebody is going May of 26, and that's gonna, that's it's a lieutenant leaving, that should mean the next person on the list gets, gets promoted. So you're saying, okay, they're retiring May of 26, but they're not actually retiring, they're rehiring, and they're gonna be here for another six to 18 months. Person on the next person on the list doesn't actually have any right to that vacancy because they never actually really left it. Correct. And that is definitely a little bit of, um, I don't know, maybe you said it's such a culture shift, maybe it's just a different way of thinking or it's a semantic, but maybe it needs to be called something else because if it's, if it's you retire, you start to then uh, get your retirement from FPDR, mm -hmm. assuming it'll be FPDR, which is why you then you can't, all the extra costs are accrued to the city, which is a whole other story, which I can't believe the city actually wants to do this program. It seems so expensive. No, it's gonna save the money. That doesn't make any sense. Ultimately. It's gonna save the money in the long term. And also we had three labor attorneys go over this uh, retire, rehire article. We went, this was like I said, we spent the most amount of time on this one. So if there's something legally that they missed, it's possible, so, but we had three of them. So 
I, I'm just gonna. I, I, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I know where they work. So I'm going to ask them, you know, to look at these contract items and make sure that we're not leaving anything out there that's going to expose us or put the union in jeopardy or put the members in a, in a position where uh, they're going to be in jeopardy. It's now, a, I un, you can try, somebody can make the argument that that, that that because of this negotiation, because of this change in the retiree article that was in their contract in their previous agreement that this will negatively impact them and there's why and they might be right and they might be wrong because there's so many other factors that are going to make the difference of whether a person gets promoted or not there's just no way to clear cut say that this will have an impact because it's travis's point yeah i to say my retirement date is january of 2033 but i can retire uh many years earlier than that i just choose to work my full 30 years yeah because i got young kids but let's say for instance you know what I don't know if this program will be there when I when I go th- that far out, but let's say hypothetically it exists as it is then, I may decide to go like, one year earlier and then take that and then I'll be I'll be done working and I'll have not I'll have increased the amount of money that I'll have made um, because it essentially for me anyway it'll it'll reach into the FPDR budget. Nothing changes for them. True, Nothing changes true. for this. Because they're still just paying a person when they retire. They owe me money at some point. They're just going to start paying that whenever. Well, as soon as I have rights to it, it's mine. Now, the interesting thing is like because, I'm a, because I also work for the city of Portland, I'm a firefighter. So I get paid that salary. So the taxpayer is not really out any money. They're still paying a firefighter. They're no. still paying a, a retiree. So what, what, where, I mean, at the, and the end result is there's, there's that. Now, in the short term, yes, there's a, the, the, you know, there's a increase to cost for all FPD art members yeah. to come back and retire rehire. Yeah. There's going to be a cost savings. So as soon as, as soon as the giant switch goes over and now it's all um, OPSERP members or uh, PERS members, they don't pay a PERS rate for everybody that's in that. So there's a decrease to the costs going forward for perpetuity. Correct. Because it's, it's all, nuanced because, and complicated. We can go for, on and on. But FPDR is always going to be playing the employer rates, even for the opposite members. That's not true. No, uh, because of Senate Bill 1049, um, the work back provision, which is now extended to 10 years, the employer, the entity, has no responsibility to pay any rate of order in a work back provision. For work back. I mean, for the opposite members that are currently working, no matter until they retire, correct. The FPDR is paying the employer yes. rates. Correct. Right. But not when they retire, rehire. Not when they right. retire, rehire, or work back. Right. So that's, that has got to be in the, in the ballpark of 30%. Yeah, yes. that's about right. 30 almost exactly right. You're off by 1%. So the city will save 31% on every retiree hire that's in PERS tier 2 or tier 3. At that point, well, someone's just... got to pay it. No, because the work back provision says you don't have to pay into a retirement system that you're drawing from. Oh, for the opsort members when they are okay. when they're retired. So it's just the FPDR folks that are that, are yeah. that expensive. And we're currently working with right. our attorneys <sighs> and with the state of Oregon. There's no way around it. We try to get out of it. Actually, we're actually trying to still get out of it. They so. are required by law. They are. It's, it's super. That's okay. So we tried to get out of it because we wanted to decrease the cost to the city. Yep. So takeaway is we're still working on retiree hire. We're still looking at minimizing the impacts through adjustments um, to all aspects of the lists, and there will be more information. So are you saying that the people that are on the list 
essentially they need to just adjust their expectations as to when they believe they should be hired or they should be promoted i i, I can't tell anybody i'm sorry i mean to push you too hard on this i'm just trying to understand it's not. It's, it's the reality is you know what's in the contract is what's been agreed upon boom okay, okay. I mean, that being said like, we're always going to be trying to figure out how to mitigate okay. this issue because and, and our intent the union's intent from the very beginning was not to harm anybody on promotional list and anybody on any list in previous history of Portland Fire and Rescue, never had the ability to say, I'm number 11, I'm going to get made. Right, of course, of course. But there were times when somebody, a vacancy appeared and it wasn't filled, and, you, and the union um, just That's happened. a different issue. That just happened. J-Rob, J-Rob, if you're listening, you just got promoted because of a grievance that I filed <laughs> and was successful. So, Congratulations, um, thank, by the way. You're welcome, J-Rob. <laughs> um, so that's different. That's not the same. That is different. When we, different. that's a there's a there's a vacancy. There's a true vacancy when somebody like retires. Okay. There's a operational vacancy, whatever we're calling that, <laughs> when someone is going to be off for an extended period six, of time. Four, six months. Yeah, yeah. We need to have a station captain. Captains. We just we we have perfect examples of why stations start the wheels start falling off when they don't have a captain. We stations need captains. We need to have. There's budgeted positions for officers. Yeah. There's budgeted positions for everything in this bureau. We need to be fully staffed in every aspect. It's in that's so when that doesn't happen, it's separate. What Travis is saying is in a retiree hire, the person's still in there. Now, if 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 there's a, you know, I think what you alluded to is there may be some sort of law out there that we're violating by this. That's the case. Bring it to the attorney's attention. Let's make sure we take a look at that. I, I was more referring to this situation when there was a vacancy that because there's a certain number of captains, certain number of lieutenants that are on the books. And if there's one that's not 118 lieutenants, 35 captains, Thank you. 15 battalion chiefs. So there you have it. So if, if, if we're at 14 battalion chiefs for more than a month or something, then a grievance can be filed and they got to promote the next cap, last cap. No. It's very <laughs> subjective. We have not a, we, there's no timeline. Okay. That's the problem. All right. Okay. The administration's been very good about okay. promoting for injuries when they don't have to. Let, let me just ask one more thing real quick. It says, uh, in this in this uh, summary, members must request six months in advance on intent to use the program. Have no discipline in the last three years. They completed NFPA 1582 physical. Mm-hmm. If they make the request, is it automatic they will receive the retire rehire benefit? For up to one year, yes. That's right. So it's going to be you used quite. It's going to be used quite a bit, probably most likely. I I, I think that we will. We have no idea. Okay. It's it's currently used. How many people we got doing it right now, Travis? Nine. So, so pre- nine nine folks. I would have said eight. So let's see, Travis is better at this stuff than I. Yeah. He, we have nine folks that are currently uh, under retiree hire. Mm-hmm. How many members do you think brought forth uh, complaints about the various classifications <laughs> that they, people remained in? Because they did remain in several classifications, not just in EOPS, but also in prevention. Zero. Oh, really? Zero. Fascinating. One. So, all right, Travis is saying one. See okay. again. One. Okay. But, I mean, the reality is, I would say this, that's more probably an informal complaint than an actual, like, bona fide right. yes. uh, complaint. So prior prior to this contract, it was at the discretion of the of the chief. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, if you apply for it and you meet the criteria, you got it. Up to one year. If you want to extend it, you can request under the contract, okay. uh, to request to yeah. extend it another additional six months at the management's discretion, or I think it says chief's. Chief or designee. Amazing. Okay. I'm okay leaving that right there. Is that you guys yeah. good with walking away? I mean, that's a lot. I mean, I, I have a feeling we'll get I more into it. Uh, yeah. 
I didn't know what a can of worms I was getting into. We're just got a few more minutes here, and we'll get out of here. Um, so you alluded to an issue that was dealt with ten years ago, or four presidents ago, and that maybe one of them was that the st- uh, safety and staffing, the four yeah. four members on each. And I just thought it'd be cool just to talk about the history. Maybe you already did it real quickly, but that was something that was brought up by one of the members in a Slack and how what a big deal that is, and. Like it is, it is a big deal. I guess the rea- reality. Are they ever going to actually reduce staffing? Probably not. Go to three member, three folks on a truck or three folks on an engine. But now for sure they're not. Now it's it is in the contract, and it's not it's it's not a small win. It's a big win. At least in the sense it's been something that's been tried to be achieved for I don't even know how long. Do you have an idea? I don't know how long, but I can tell you that it was something that I was, when 4K was president, because that was kind of the rhythm of my entrance into the union world was in 2010. You know, I would come to meetings, but I, I, I you know, I was kind of just a spectator. Um, and and uh, I got more involved in 2010. So it was, that, that's when I was aware of sort of there could be, oh, there's there was little murmurs about, you know, changing changing the staffing model. And... You know, then politicians are politicians, and yeah. they come and go. And what we can't have—the contracts are, are here to stay. So, so do executive boards and union presidents. And but the membership, the union, and this contract are here to stay. Yeah. And so, I think that you know, for us, we need some assurances that some politician isn't going to get some crazy idea and uh, eliminate the very thing that keeps us safe, right? And the thing that keeps this community safe. This has been proven scientifically <laughs> over and over again that increasing the number of firefighters on the apparatus from three to four significantly improves the lives and safety of the community and the firefighters that are right. on those apparatus. Same thing goes when you go to four to five, but it's not as big of a jump. Right. It is on trucks, oh, which really? is another uh-huh. another uh-huh. another thing for another day. But uh, a four-person staffing is what keeps us safe, and it keeps what keeps this community safe. And we know it scientifically has been proven. Right, right. So some, okay. some, you know, what, pol- what politician has been hired, uh, or sorry, has been elected to the city that we know of uh, that is an expert in firefighter operations, fire department operations? Maybe one? Yeah, and Maybe. I'm sure that one could be debated. Yes. Yeah. They just don't. I mean, yeah. fire, fire, you know. People that are, those are politicians. Yeah. They're not fire chiefs. They're not union presidents. They're not fire officers. They're not, you know, they're not firefighters. Just checking my memory. Is that NFPA 1710? Is that the safety and staff? Yeah, 1710. Safety and staff. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's a a foot in the door on that one. It's a very short article, but it's it's an important one. You can't even put a dollar amount to it because it doesn't exist. Right. It's something that, it's just another... We have a safety and staffing in, in, in FPA. We have safety and staffing as it relates to state law right. that the firefighters have fought for, and now we've got one in our contract. It's just another another wedge. It shouldn't to, it shouldn't have taken as long as it did to get it in in, in writing. Well, and I, yeah, and there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but the real the reality is, I think that really is a testament to this style of bargaining mm-hmm. uh, is because we could articulate that why yeah what is the problem we're trying to solve yeah and. Uh, how do we can how do we can how can we do it in a way yeah. that makes sense? So listen, you guys, I've kept you for longer than I probably should have. That's all the you know more or less the notes I had. Is there anything? Two things. Is there anything else? That, do you want to touch on that, or do you want to touch on anything about what we have 
moving forward? There's a lot kind of happening. Uh, I would encourage people to attend the union meeting coming up September 12th, mm-hmm. 8.30 in the morning right here in the union hall on September South 12th. Curry. Okay. Yeah, September 12th. It normally would be scheduled for September 11th. That's the uh, second Monday right. of the month. But right. for September 11th, that's uh, we, we felt like to truly honor and respect that day. Oh, yeah. Uh, give it uh, the, its own day and move the meeting to uh, the next following day. So um, there's a lot going to happen at that meeting. Uh, it's so uh, mm-hmm. I, I do I want people to come with questions uh, and hear reports, but I also know that there's uh, we're, we're going to lose a pretty valuable member of the team uh, sitting at this table right here. And there's going to be some nominations for officers. We will certainly be talking with Travis on the microphone at some point between now and then. But um, I think uh, the other thing to note that we're going to really need a membership to be aware of is the callback committee is making uh, between two and four recommendations. They're having meetings in the next few weeks to finalize those recommendations. They will be recommendations made to labor management and to look at uh, the way and the different um, paths for overtime and callback time to be given out in the Bureau. So if that's something you're passionate about, I would definitely show up at this meeting because the recommendations and the voting on those recommendations will be only made at the general membership meeting and not the executive board uh, level. And um, That's going to be a big conversation. You have to be present to vote, and so make sure you show up that. And then um, like the President McLennan alluded to, there will be uh, definitely um, Terry Foster will not be running for vice president. That's what I'm being told. So that position will be um, open and vacant. And then um, as Secretary Treasurer, there will be a new name uh, in the Secretary Treasurer role for 2024. So if you're interested, um, give me a call. Officially, Travis, you are stepping down from your position coming January. I'm not rerunning from my position. Okay. And I think um, some mailings have gone out as to what positions. There's something that was adjusted recently today. A new, a new email came out. Yeah. I think it was just some different district uh, um, assignments. But yeah, we, we, through the process of, we, had, we actually established a committee that tended to take a look at the districts we have that make up our executive board, and we needed to update them. Yeah, to, yeah. And that was, that, that update happened in reality, but that document did not get updated. Right. Okay, so September 12th Big is meeting. the next meeting. Big meeting. So, hope to see everybody there. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time, Kyle. You guys Thanks, are awesome. Kyle. Thanks so much. Yeah, this is really great. I know we're just kind of went through this stuff a flash on a pan, and Kyle, I just, uh, you know, it's a lot of good discussion. Hopefully, everybody gets some value out of this. I yeah. hope that on their drive home or two from work or mopping the floor, they're getting something out of this, but um, please don't hesitate to reach out to your district rep when you have more questions. You know, this I think, is, you know, we need, this is your union. You need to get your, you need to have an understanding of how these decisions get made, and how what your role, what your role is yeah. in making sure that you get a successful career. I think a lot of stuff is probably repetitive for other for some folks. Um, I didn't want to do this in the heat of all of the discussions because it was all the people were going out to stations. Slack was happening. A bunch of talk. It was just like would have been too much. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to wait for a little while to let things cool down and the dust settle. Then is how the call. I mean, like I said, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe it's just too too much of the same. But you know, um, you know yeah. Kyle, you make a good point. Maybe the way we this is done in the future is uh, we because I think these podcasts are valuable for people. So maybe we maybe we do a podcast 
about what's in the contract, uh, just more of an informative piece that can go out with uh, timed with uh, the letter. You know, I, I think we rushed this one, and the reality, well, why did we rush it? We wanted people to get paid as soon as possible. We felt this contract was a, rushed was a, was a good rushed. contract, and we wanted to get people's pay increases uh, getting programmed into the computer as fast as possible. So while I know some people had some frustrating points about, oh, it feels rushed. Yeah, that's because we wanted people to get paid. The whole goal was to get people as paid on time. It's inflation is in a record high. We yeah. wanted that money in our members' yeah. pockets. And that was, that's that's the reason why. That's Got the it. reason why. Got it. And uh, it was not, I mean, I don't think anybody, I never, nobody ever said anything about it being nefarious, but I think there was just some frustration about, Gosh, it seems like it's really fast. And yeah, this document yeah, just got it. Da, 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 da. Well, we could have taken our time. We could have slowed down. Absolutely, we could have done that. And if that, if that was the will of the negotiating team or the executive board, or you know, I, I think then we would have had something to work on. Like well, we should slow down. But that wasn't the messages I was receiving. It was get this thing done, get, get it, it signed, get, get it the done. money in my pocket. Yeah. So that other meant that some of the information came out kind of fast, and so I, I do own that. Great. Thanks again. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, Cal. You bet. See you, Isaac. See you.